Would you ever eat an insect? Maybe some of you listening to this would say absolutely not. But park your notions before listening to this episode. This episode epitomizes the meaning of the No Notions podcast. Because if you actually leave your notions at the door and listen to this with an open mind, you may just end up considering incorporating insect products into your daily life. Not only could it be the future of sustainable farming, but the Far East have been doing it since time began. And just as kombucha, yoga, and a lot of the meditation practices that we've adopted from the Far East in the Western world, maybe, just maybe, eating and farming insects is the next thing. Who knows? But that is the no notions mindset you should have going into this episode. So let's get into it. This is the No Notions Podcast. Please leave your notions at the door and come on in. My guest in this episode is Chani Sandu, founder of Hoppa, an Australian brand that makes cricket products. It all started when Chani was traveling through Southeast Asia. I was traveling in Southeast Asia and came across insects on the barbecue and things like that. So I tried it and yeah, I was quite surprised how tasty they were. When he looked into it further, he realized that this wasn't just a gimmick. I wanted to do my own research because I didn't want it to be some sort of a sales pitch somebody gave me in um, Asia just so that I can buy some, uh, you know, insects on the stick. The crickets were incredibly nutritious and much easier to farm than normal livestock. I just started looking into it and I was quite surprised how nutritional they were and more importantly, how good they were from a planet and environmental point of view. So why weren't we doing it at home? And that's how Hopper was born. So let's start a podcast here. But how on earth do you go about starting an insect food company in the Western world? Let's find out. If I wanted to start a, a t-shirt brand, I, I, I'm pretty sure I'd know a, a relatively clear route to market, right? Because people have done it before and, and uh, all that kind of stuff. What was, how did you even start? Um, what was the first step? You're right. This especially uh, was a completely off the books. You know, it was just uh, very few companies around the world, in fact, are doing what we're doing at the moment. So whilst it ticked all the boxes, I... I couldn't work out why is it that it's not already being done if it's so good, you know. One thing that, uh, I mean, I, I, I thought uh, was a reason was because obviously uh, insects, you know, it's it's insects. Who wants insects? Let's face it, right? Like who wants to put insects in the mouth? Uh, what we need to do is uh, probably bring it into the Western market um, uh, in a form that's accepted uh, right now. So in the forms of protein powders, in the forms of baking flours, in the forms of... Uh, uh, energy bars and things like that. So people don't actually see the whole insect because that's kind of where, um, you know, our biggest challenge lies at the moment. Um, but bring it out into the market where people see it as another product. But now this product, okay, although it's made from insects, but it's actually got a um, lot of nutritional value. And then the other challenge we had when, we, when, when I was looking to form this uh, brand was um, around the uh, legality, you know, like you can't just bring insects and start feeding people insects. So uh, we had to do a lot of research in whether it was even legal. You know, <laughs> like I said, it's such a niche that, um, you know, uh, things aren't as straightforward as, uh, like you said, about the T-shirt business. We looked through the legality side of things and worked out that actually, yeah, it's, uh, you know, you can have. There, were, there are certain types of um, 
insect breeds that uh, allow for human consumption. So we looked into those and that's kind of where the ball started rolling from. To me, from the outside looking at it, um, at that point in your journey, uh, what I would see as the biggest challenge is where do you get the insects? You know, what's that? How do you, where do you start? How do you go and, and source these insects? How did you go about that? Because I had visited Southeast Asia, so I knew about the region quite uh, well. And so I actually traveled back there, uh, met up with some uh, cricket farmers that were doing this uh, on a day-to-day basis. This was kind of their livelihood. Um, and they've been doing it for uh, years and um, years, you know. So met up with them, um, realized soon enough that, you know, I was pretty new to this. Um, and setting up a cricket farm here in Australia, for example, <clears throat> will bring some other challenges. And then we're also dealing with um, a knowledge which we don't have. So I formed a partnership with a couple of farms in uh, Thailand, Vietnam, and a few other places, um, and basically got on board uh, some uh, entomologists, uh, local entomologists there, um, who were very interested in this. And obviously, uh, from their point of view as well, they want to expand, uh, you know, their um, uh, products out into the West as well. And that's been the biggest challenge for them too. So we kind of formed a partnership there. And um, it worked out really well uh, in terms of they've got the knowledge. Is there sort of a process you have to go through to, to, to sort of fit Western laws or like how, do, how does that work? We have a special import license to bring this stuff into Australia, which is um, biosecurity. So there's actually a government department that checks these products for us before they come into the market here. And, and then once we, once we get them here, we have a uh, regular batch testing um, so we do those uh, just to make sure everything is safe uh, for our customers. So there's a few checkpoints and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, there's some um, which are legal requirements and then there's some that we do just to make sure the product that uh, gets to our customers is completely optimal. The idea of an insect farm um, fascinates me because it is, to most people, so alien, right? We all see how livestock is produced you know it's we've, we've kind of grown up on those images and surrounded by it um but the idea of farming insects is, is totally alien to most people um what what is an insect farm like and how does that process work so we'll put um uh, male and female crickets uh, you know in a box um and when i say box it's not like a small kind of confined box <laughs> these are large uh, farming boxes commercial farming boxes so uh, we'll put uh, quite a few males and females into it. Uh, generally, the males chirp before uh, when they're ready for mating. Um, so that's how kind of they let the female know that they're ready for mating and all that stuff. And um, then they mate. Uh, like I said, once they've uh, once they've mated, uh, within about um, one to two weeks, you get the eggs hatching, and um, each female would produce something like five hundred to a thousand eggs. So you're looking at potentially thousand offsprings coming out of one female so the numbers grow very quickly and uh, between around about 10 to 12 weeks that little hatchling has gone into a full maturity and uh, once they've gone into full so we have series of boxes on these vertical shelves so they keep getting moved almost like a school class system where you know they're getting moved from year one to year two to year three kind of thing so uh, once they're at the end of their life cycle um, we harvest them what do you feed them? So we normally uh, have commercial feed, uh, specifically for crickets, which is, uh, you know, mixed up uh, with um, your uh, nutrition, uh, your multivitamins and vitamins and things like that. Uh, 
and you've got your vegetables. So they eat both meat and, and, and vegetarian and non-vegetarian feeds. So uh, you'll have a mix of um, grains in there too, rice uh, and a few other bits and pieces. So we, we specifically get the commercial feed that's kind of, um, you know, uh, approved for cricket farming sort of things. So, um, yeah, that's what we generally feed them. And and the process of actually feeding them, like, how, how do you go about doing that? Because they're used to living in uh, quite kind of um, uh, dingy, dark and humid places. So we each box has got um, uh, egg trays in them, quite a few egg trays. So that kind of gives them the little curvatures that they need to kind of just hide in between and all that stuff. And in terms of the feed and water, obviously, uh, the commercial feed is very... Uh, uh, grainy, like very small grains kind of thing. So you'll kind of just sprinkle them around the around the box and also have a, um, a I guess, a ball where the feed is actually sitting. So they'll come and feed themselves. Uh, and also same for the water. So there'll be a water supply in the, in the box and they'll go in and drink the water whenever they need to. I keep referring to sort of insects and insects far, like farming in its broader sense. But as you've been saying, right, it is crickets that you um, are, are farming and that your, your, your products um, are cricket products, right? Um, why, why crickets instead of other insects? There's a few breeds of insects that have been kind of um, uh, okayed for, from a human consumption point of view. And crickets are one of those. Um, and within crickets as well, there's uh, a few breeds of crickets. That, that have been okay from a human consumption point of view. Now, the reason we went with crickets is um, I think it ticks a few boxes. Uh, first of all, they're pretty easygoing in the sense like, you know, from a maintenance point of view, from a farming point of view, uh, they're pretty happy-go-lucky. You know, there's not huge amounts that you have to do apart from giving them a decent feed, uh, a water, and making sure their trays and all that stuff are cleaned regularly. I think they kind of just sail through the process without too much uh, looking after. And the second thing is in terms of nutritional value, I think crickets produce probably the best nutritional value uh, for um, what you put in them, if, if you know what I mean. Like, so from that angle, they, they, they probably tick the box for us. Um, and yeah, so, and again, uh, from a taste as well. So crickets generally have got a nutty taste. So, um, you know, if like if I was to blindfold you and gave you crickets, you would probably think it's something uh, nutty in terms of peanuts or uh, roasted nuts or whatever. You know, um, so taste-wise, they they match something we already have kind of uh, liking for. So when we make products out of them, it's a lot easier to integrate them with uh, other products. What breed of cricket is is best for consumption? The one we use is um, a technical term is Echeta domesticus. Um, so um, it's uh, you can call it common cricket. Um, uh, they're, they're pretty, uh, I guess, not necessarily the ones we find around our homes and stuff, but very closely matching those, if I'm honest. Okay. And how how is it figured, like, how is it figured that that's the best for breeding? Like, is it because in the Eastern world, they've been doing this for years anyways? Or like, what's the sort of background on that? Yeah, look, they're, they're probably the most popular. And the reason they're most popular is, uh, like I said before, um, few few of the tick boxes, uh, they work really well for them. Um, but there, there's uh, there's things like um, beetles. There's, uh, they work with beetles. They work with uh, mealworms. Um, there's uh, quite a few other worms that they work with. 
but like I said, for us, what ticked the box for us was when we tried a few of the other bugs and in insects. Crickets just are, um, uh, they're not very overpowering. Uh, so, you know, we knew that we had a challenge at our hands bringing an insect product into the market anyway, but bringing in a, in a uh, product which, or, you know, in terms of the breed, which hopefully will kind of, um, you know, match uh, close resemblance to some of the other stuff that we're, we're, we're already eating and consuming. Um, that was what was a, a goal for us. But in, in Eastern world, like I said, <coughs> they're pretty experimental. They go for um, quite more than what we have at the moment. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, do, do we need to worry about crickets carrying disease or is there any sort of uh, issues around that? Yeah, no, look, again, that was uh, something that um, I was personally very conscious about. Like, um, So crickets, uh, by nature, like I said, um, they breed uh, their life cycle and everything else um, works really well um, uh, from not having to interfere with that to make it uh, mass produce it or fast track it or anything like that. So the good thing about that is no hormones or antibiotics or all the you know kind of nasties going in any of these um, insect products. Um, the other thing is um, insects, um, I guess the system that they have internally, it has got no close resemblance to humans. Unlike, for example, pigs, uh, you know, there, there's certain things that can be passed across from pigs into humans, chickens into humans and things like that. So I think um, crickets are very different in that sense. So um, the chances of anything coming from an insect into a human uh, is very, very rare. Um, I mean, I don't think so. it's ever happened and I doubt very much it will happen, um, you know. So, yeah, so that, that's the good thing about it as well. It's, um, you know, naturally that way. Yeah, you mentioned there, like the insect has a sort of less of a resemblance to it to a human um, than sort of other livestock animals. Um, obviously, with bringing a product like this to market in the Western world, there's a sort of an ick factor of people in terms of it's not the norm, right? And that was, as you said, maybe one of the the biggest hurdles. One of the thoughts that came to my mind was within the and again, this could be totally off the mark. It may not work like this, but within the vegan and vegetarian, well, not vegan, but vegetarian communities, um, are your products actually particularly popular in the sense that um, they don't, you know, insects don't resemble livestock. They're, they're not, they don't maybe have the the consciousness that 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 a, a cow or a pig or whatever so the relationship between the morals of of killing the the, the pig or the cow or the chicken that that is totally different to killing an insect to eat right um how how have you found that like is that a thing for you yeah look uh, we've got mixed reception in that um, area so um uh, obviously uh, people that are vegan because they don't want to have any meat products uh, bottom line um they they're probably quite strong in their views, and they they and rightly so too. So they they uh, you know stick with their views and uh, options. Um, but then we we actually in fact have customers who, like you said, were vegan for the ethical reasons, and when they realise actually you know the crickets uh, we only harvest them at the end of their life cycle, and the way they harvest it is pretty. Uh, you know, pretty ethical in the sense that we don't go around cutting them or chopping them and all that stuff. We just put them into a sleep mode, which is basically you lower the temperature down. Uh, they naturally fall asleep 
um, and slowly die out, you know, from that point on. Um, and that's exactly the same process they mimic in nature. So when the winter sets in, uh, a lot of the insects, they actually die out because they go into their hibernation state. Uh, and the ones that are at the end of their um, uh, maturity, they in that hibernation, they actually go into uh, full-fledged sleep mode, you know. Um, so same way we, we mimic that um, uh, in our uh, farming. So we have a lot of... Um, uh, you know, vegan customers who previously were vegan because they didn't have an option, but now having known this side of things and how these are farmed and so forth, um, they're quite happy to give this option a try. And uh, yeah, like like I said, we've actually got customers who who have come from that side, um, you know, where they didn't have any choice because of the entire livestock industry. Yeah, like. Look, it's it's the same reason why some people are pescatarian, right? Or, or you know, there is that moral sort of barrier that stops people from eating the meat, and and they maybe don't relate that to like a fish, for example. So I just saw the same relationship um, with you, and it was just yeah, I found it particularly interesting in the sense that is that a little bit of a a boost in the sense that there are so many barriers to, to market over the ick factor, right? In the Western world, the idea of eating a cricket, but actually. To me, from the outset, set that kind of maybe looks like something that's on your side in that sense. You know um, that there is less of a moral dilemma. Definitely, I think education is the biggest, um, uh, I guess, um, uh, driving factor for us. Um, something we uh, very much encourage and uh, push for. And the reason we do that is, like I said, there's a lot of misconceptions there um, when we talk about edible insect products. People straight away assume that it's actually whole insects. And in our products, um, you know, you won't see any whole insects anywhere. So uh, that's first misconception. And the second one, like you said, um, you know, people, once they get to know about the sustainability factor, the environmental factor, in fact, in a lot of ways, um, this product would challenge a lot of the other products out there, um, you know, and it gets people thinking. And that's the kind of place where we want to be in, in terms of, not necessarily, you know, like I'm not in the market to force this down uh, people's throats and things like that because I appreciate like everybody's got their views and all that stuff. I think more important for us is just get, getting that another option from a thinking point of view. Like, you know, we've obviously got livestock. We've now seen a big wave from a uh, vegan point of view uh, and rightly so too. Um, and this is almost another option on the table. And if there is enough facts behind each of those options, I think people are smart enough nowadays to make those decisions for themselves. Yeah. So let's dig into the sustainability side and in terms of the numbers, right? I have your website here in front of me. And, you know, in terms of building a case for the sustainability and the efficiency side of things, um, it's hard to argue with, actually, you know, in, in terms of the numbers, they do they do speak for themselves, right? So 12 times less feed is needed for insects than uh, than pigs and chickens and cattle, yeah. Um, so that's that's absolutely stark, right? In, in in that sense, and I presume that ratio that goes across the board in farming um, and and looking after them and the, in the entire upkeep of the animal is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, basically, uh, the life cycle of each of those livestock and crickets, for example. The end result, let's face it, we, we, we all um, are looking for uh, food to come out at the other end, you know, of this whole process. And um, uh, the nature of these livestock and crickets is the fact that that food that comes out at the end of it 
is protein rich. Um, so in simple terms, I guess, if we were to say to produce one kilo of protein um, from any of these, uh, crickets actually require 12 times less uh, feed. So, and that's just one kilo. You can imagine how many kilos we are getting through every year. So those numbers um, soon multiply. Yeah. So there's less feed. You touched on earlier, like the, the case of less water as well, I suppose, in the same in the same vein. But also there's less land needed, right, as well to, to farm them. What's the numbers on that? How much less land do you need for insects as opposed to sort of larger livestock animals? So again, like we've seen a wave of, um, you know, like uh, I, I, I came across this saying some time back, uh, where, you know, nowadays we sell food as organic food, whereas before it was just food, you know. Um, now we start seeing uh, cage-free, uh, you know, eggs. And, uh, you know, now hectares are being mentioned and, you know, all those things. So uh, in terms of the land, look, uh, by nature, crickets actually don't need much land. I mean, that's just by nature. It's not that they're being forced into smaller lands or smaller spaces. Um, they, they're just used to living in kind of nooks and crannies um, and all these, uh, you know, tight spaces. So... In terms of the numbers, I think uh, kettle on average would need something like 150 square meters uh, on average, uh, just to be a decent space. Uh, whereas I think crickets, you can get away with something like 10 to 15 square meter, you know. So, and this is just we're talking about one kettle to one cricket something. So, you know, it's the numbers just multiply uh, in terms of the production we're getting through year on year with all this um, uh, food sources. Another interesting uh, factor from your website is it's sort of uh, you sort of allude here that actually eighty percent of the cricket is edible. Is that right? Um, whereas in other livestock animals, I don't know what the percentages are. You know, they're, they're substantially lower than that in, ter- in terms of the actual carcass or whatever that you can consume for for humans. That's right. So, so for from a human consumption point of view, like crickets. To be honest with you, crickets apart from wings, uh, you know everything else is all uh, edible. Uh, and that's kind of 80, 80 to 85% of their body, basically. Um, whereas in kettle and, uh, you know, chickens and uh, um, pigs, uh, I think those numbers are much less. Um, so I think in kettle, just from a human point of view, uh, I mean, although, you know, there's a lot of byproducts that come off it, um, but from a pure human consumption point of view, I think we're looking at almost 50% less or 40% less and things like that. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of wastage um, or, you know, it, it's not fully consumed. Uh, so that's where crickets stand out from a you know a wastage point of view. There's a very little wastage in there. So what what part did you, what part did you say of the cricket is not edible? The wings. How do you go about extracting the the wings or the non edible part of the crickets? That seems like a very delicate job given how small they are, right? Yeah, right. No, look, um, so the way it works is we we um, like I said earlier, we freeze them uh, into hibernation and then they obviously pass uh, away through that way, and then um, they are taken in and uh, roasted. So once they're roasted, um, they cook internally and everything else. Whereas, and at that point, uh, when they're uh, run through a process, the sifter can separate the wings because it, the, the cricket is roasted. So wings actually just come off in that sense. Um, and then you just have the body of the cricket coming through. And then it goes through multiple processes to sift through and eventually grind it 
and then after grinding you've got yourself the powder god it's it's fascinating because it's fascinating because the minute scale of it in a way you know, you know what i mean like it's easy to to you know gut a fish or to like you know take the innards out of a cow or whatever because you can, it's so big but i just have this vision on cricket it's almost microscopic at times you know if you're dealing with little parts of the animal you know yeah yeah, yeah absolutely and uh, you know thank god for the machinery that we have because uh, i mean year on year we're seeing a lot of um, uh, growth in this industry so i think uh, there's no doubt you know the consumption rates will go up and uh, we'll need the right machinery to support the production side of things but right now we've got decent machinery that can run through uh, a fair amount of production cycle one more interesting fact from your website that just stood out to me um the average westerner already consumes about one kg of insects each year um what is that about <laughs> and where am i consuming these insects and where <laughs> um um do a bit of googling on this and um some of the chocolates we eat uh, funny enough and we all love it um some of the chocolates we eat actually have insect um uh, parts in them very small percentage very very small and by nature, a lot of the crops that we go through and a lot of the byproducts that come off it, there is some, uh, you know, obviously we know that there's a lot of insects that go onto crops and things like that. So there's some particles of insects remain on the crops as well that eventually get processed and come into a form of product. So without actually knowing, uh, we can get through around about a kilo or two kilos of um, uh, insects throughout the year. Yeah. But chocolate was the one that, um, yeah, <laughs> chocolate was the one that stood out for me when I looked into this stuff. So this is this is just by pure accident in like the factories and stuff. It's like insects getting kind of mixed up in that. Partially accident, and partially I think some of the some of the artificial ingredients that are made and things like that that are then put into foods come from all, all these kind of uh, sources. So there's also um, in some of the artificial ingredients you can have. Um, insect uh you know uh i guess bits in them uh that eventually end up in your products into your foods you know that fact would have grossed me out more before talking to you you know in a weird way before digging into like the actual nutritional benefits of crickets and and insects and actually that the eastern world are doing it anyways i don't know it sits a little bit easier with me you know so it's it's the it's your work in action in a way right <laughs> um, in, in... Yeah, look to be honest with you i think now knowing the nutrition value i think um in a way it's good we've been eating a bit of crickets all throughout without knowing because um it, maybe we are getting a little bit of goodness after all yeah exactly um what scale are you farming crickets at at the moment how big is it um uh, we do around about i think um on average um, i think like i said every year we're seeing a growth which is great uh, from an industry point of view uh, it is a very uh, niche industry it's a very young industry especially in the western world um so year on year we're seeing uh, you know probably around about 25 to 30 percent growth in our sales and in terms of farming uh, i think we're look um i think we originally started with a few hundred kilos a year and now we're hitting around about a ton to two tons a year of of finished product right yeah 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 so cricket powder it's interesting when you say the ton obviously a ton's a big metric but even i'm trying to because it's kind of so far in the idea of cricket products, I'm trying to figure out how big or small that actually is. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? In, in terms of the, the scale, you know? Yeah, look, I think, um, uh, think about it this way, that, uh, you know, we've got, let's say, I don't know, 1,000 kilos 
and uh, you know your flour bag is one kilo um, you know that we get from a supermarket so thousand of those basically that's a ton for you in a way yeah yeah and and like i said when we first started i think getting through a few hundred used to be you know a challenge because it was so new uh you know we were first in the market from a brand point of view and stuff like that and over the last four years and and that too uh part of it was COVID. um we've grown heaps in terms of the consumption from our customers where is the biggest spike for this trend obviously you're in australia i have seen that the u.s is is there, there's some manufacturing and they actually farm in the u.s right um they they farm some of the insects themselves where in the western world are is the trend biggest yeah look um i think i think it's also to do with the population um australia obviously is a big land uh, but population wise it's uh, relatively small compared to u.s and europe um so from that angle europe and probably u.s are probably larger markets but the reason, well, one, obviously, I'm based out in Australia. Second, I think um, Australia as a um, as a country, I think um, you know people are very health conscious. Uh, they, uh, you know, there's a lot of, um, I guess, um, there's a lot of strong views around sustainability, and there's a lot of strong views around environment because obviously Australia being so far away from from the rest of the world, I think everyone kind of uh, leans towards that, you know, we have to um, sustain this place, you know, uh, there's not other neighbours around that will help us, we have to kind of um, help ourselves in that sense. So I think by notion, um, Australian people are very um, grounded from that side. Um, so they're very much um, close to stuff that comes off uh, land and things like that. So I think by nature, it worked out really well that when we brought our hopper, the reception from uh, from the customers was uh, it's great. You know, it's uh, um, it's something that's going to help the planet. It's something that's nutritionally really um, uh, good. And then secondly, it's all natural, uh, and that's a big, big drive here in Australia, where people prefer um, more natural stuff than you know stuff that's uh, uh, either GMO or artificially modified and things like that. So it worked out really well. And now we've built up the brand. We're getting a lot of interest from Europe and US uh, where they want to kind of distribute our products out to those markets. So we're now working on that process side of things. Yeah. You know, it's, you touched on the sort of, uh, well, you alluded to it in terms of Australia or the Australian market, but actually worldwide, at least in the Western world or the world that I exist in, the, the, the movement of whole foods and whole ingredients is actually exploding. And I see a sort of trend where when I was a little bit younger, it was all about um, the, calor- the, the, the calorie content, right? It was all about the calories in, calories out and the visuals of how, your, how that can influence your body. But I do see now a massive trend within that same industry that people were consuming five, 10 years ago to now it's actually all about foods with no not so many ingredients on the back basically you know that that whole food um and i myself and i'm that I'm, I'm on that journey for sure and i really see this product fit into that trend agree i totally agree with you and i think it's the fact that there's now um a wave of awareness that's come about and whether you want to call it media i mean uh, you know uh, you're doing a podcast so you're obviously from a digital industry so there's um you know, all the internet information that's available to people that comes to their hand. Um, so I think that's really woken a lot of the people up that, you know, unless they do something about themselves, 
um, there's very little, uh, you know, uh, the medicines or the surgeries and all the other procedures can do. So, and then obviously we got hit with COVID um, where I think a lot of people had, they started looking at ways to boost their immunity, boost their natural health, because it was completely unknown. Nobody knew what was going to happen in that sense from, uh, you know, what actually works, what doesn't work. So a lot of people started looking at uh, consuming healthier products and things like that. So I think there's definitely a trend or a wave across the world where people are conscious what they're putting in their body because now people are aware what goes in is what defines you. So I think um, from that angle, yeah, like you said, our products are literally up there in terms of uh, nutritional content, what it does for the body. And um, yeah, like, you know, rather than popping a multivitamin pill, I would say, you know, if you have something like cricket powder, in your foods, you're pretty much ticking your calciums, vitamin B12s and ions and zincs and all sorts of, you know, all the minerals and vitamins. I remember when whey protein and creatine kind of hit the market for for like a, a you know just a day-to-day consumer perspective obviously i'm sure it's around a, a lot longer before that for like the bodybuilding community in that really niche market but i remember when it really went uh when it went sort of bigger scale right um and I, I actually i was in school at the time and it was actually banned because people didn't know anything about it you know nobody it, it was a it was a totally unknown and then obviously the 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 sort of fitness community and the sporting community everyone adopted it right and i i genuinely think with that sort of trajectory product like this if, if it taps into that fitness community um it could explode I genu- I genuinely think that it, and and obviously there is that ick factor involved um but I think you know if the if the sort of trends collide of that whole food natural product with that sort of fitness community um and they're opting for something that is less processed I I I genuinely think it it uh yeah the sort of it could absolutely explode you know but it's it's almost tapping into that that fitness community online that seems to be that seems to be a key right yeah, look, I think uh, fitness is um, probably uh, one part of our customer base. And honestly speaking, I think fitness people are probably, um, you know, we, we don't have to convince them that much because uh, they, like you said, they're already into fitness. They already want to put stuff that's good for them, regardless of kind of the form it comes in or, you know, the line it comes from, like, for example, in our products, they're insect-based. But, um, uh, you know, a, a gym girl or somebody like that would look at the protein content, they look at it's natural, it hasn't got any rubbish in it, um, and it's good for the body. So they will be happily taking that in, knowing the fact that it's um, it's all good from that angle. Um, what I like about our product is, uh, unlike whey or plant-based proteins and things like that, our products are pretty much your um, household protein uh, product. So what that means is, uh, you know, an elderly or a, uh, a baby can take it in that sense. Whereas, Unfortunately, they can't digest whey proteins and uh, plant-based proteins uh, um, that well. So, for example, my daughter, who's now six, um, she has this regularly, and she's been having this since, uh, I think, two or whatever age. And, um, yeah, like, whether it's her porridge, whether it's her, uh, you know, cereals or whatever it is, um, you sprinkle a spoonful of that. Um, I know that she's getting something very good going in her body. And secondly, I know it's not going to harm her uh, because it's uh, very, very easy to digest. Yeah. What else is in the, the the product that you sell in terms of the cricket powders? What else is in that in, in terms of is it just the, the, the crickets or is there additives or what else is in that sort of uh, product? I, I Yeah, I, I've got one um, 
uh, product here, which is the protein powder, which is uh, probably the most uh, uh, popular one for us. The ingredient is just 100% roasted crickets, right? Um, so there is nothing, there is nothing in it apart from 100% roasted crickets. Um, it's as pure as it gets. Um, and that's what I like about it. I mean, when, when, when we formed Hopper, the most important thing for me was no point building a brand, uh, which you're trying to sell it as something that's healthy and natural and all those factors, but then your products are made out of, um, you know, all these fillers and artificial ingredients and sweeteners and things like that. In fact, I've got a couple of, um, we do uh, bars as well. I don't know if you've seen our website, but we do uh, protein energy bars. Again, um, if you were to look at the back, that's probably a little bit small, but I'll read the, read the ingredients in this one. For example, this is a chocolate one. So there's about six or seven um, wholesome ingredients. Um, they are dates, cricket powder, raisins, cashew nuts, cacao, uh, chia seeds, and Himalayan salt. And I'm pretty certain each one of those, you will know what they are. Like, you know, there's none of these E numbers. There's none of these fillers. There's none of these uh, nasties that a lot of us don't have a clue what they are, but we're eating them in other products, you know? So that was very important to me. Um, so, yeah, so from that angle, I think our products pretty much uh, tick a, uh, a family protein product, you know? So you could have children, you could have uh, pregnant uh, mums, or you could have, you know, uh, adults and then obviously elderly taking any of these products yeah so how do you consume crickets in 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 your day-to-day -day life so look uh first thing uh you know something like a smoothie um you know a spoonful goes in there um uh, you know with berries and uh, uh your uh, alternative milks like almond or oat or whatever and that's your first um you know uh, i guess intake of cricket protein going in and then a uh, little bit later, if, uh, if I was to have a bowl of porridge, um, I'll put a spoonful in there. Um, then uh, afternoons, if you're making, let's say, toasty even, you know, <laughs> you could put your cheese and your hams and your, uh, you know, uh, uh, like tomatoes or whatever. And again, put a, sp a spoonful. It's such a versatile product. There is no template for it. You can literally sprinkle it on your salads. You can sprinkle it into your curries uh, or you can put it into your smoothies. And it just works a miracle. Like I said earlier, like it's not it's not overpowering, so it doesn't change the taste of your product or your recipe, but it just uh, mixes so well with it. But the and just to sort of, I, I'm not sure if we touched on earlier, but the the actual nutrient value of the 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 cricket powder, um, what is it in terms of like the protein content and things like that? Yeah, so um, on average, I think um, it's got over 60% protein. Um, so what that means is if you consumed 100 grams of cricket powder, you would be taking in around about over 60 grams of protein, right? Um, and I'm not saying, you know, that's uh, one serve or anything, but just in, in a proportion I'm giving you, it's uh, extremely high in that sense. So, so just to put that into context, for many people now that I'm sure use protein powder, right? One of those scoops is about 30 grams. Right. And in that 30 grams, you're probably getting about 20 grams of protein in, in whey. So if you took the same scoop of whey protein, same scoop of cr cricket powder, 30, which is a 30 gram serving, um, there'd be about 20 grams in the whey protein. What what would there be in the cricket uh, cricket powder? About uh, 18, 18 grams or something like that. 18 to 20 grams. Yeah. Um, yeah, close to it. Um, the the other thing, uh, <coughs> Jared, is um, cricket powder have got complete amino acids in them, 
So, you know, the nine essential amino acids, it naturally contains them. Um, and which a lot of your, um, uh, you know, commercial protein powders might not have. They might be pumped into it artificially, but naturally they don't contain it. Um, the protein, this protein compared to your normal whey protein, for example, very, very easy on the gut. So a lot of people, unfortunately, they're either dairy intolerant or uh, they suffer from uh, gut issues uh, because, you know, they're consuming uh, whey protein and all that stuff. So this kind of really works well for those. In fact, we've got customers who've kind of fed back into um, our review system, letting us know like how this has kind of changed the game for them because before they were struggling to get a protein powder that they could digest or, you know, with their, let's say, IBSs and all that stuff, they, they were struggling to consume protein because, uh, you know, it was uh, upsetting their stomachs and stuff. And this just being a natural product, um, being not overly pumped with, um, uh, you know, anything artificial or nasties or anything like that, it just <clears throat> sits really well with the gut. And, and in terms of nutrition, like I said, protein, uh, you've got your complete amino acids. You've got vitamin B12, uh, which is, again, uh, one of the key vitamins that we all kind of look for these days. And a lot of us have to pop a pill for it um, because naturally it's very hard to get out of, uh, especially from plants and stuff. Uh, and then omegas, it's got uh, it's full of omegas, threes and six. Um, you've got your iron, calcium, uh, magnesium, potassium, you name it. It's literally like a, you know, your multivitamin uh, pill in a way. Yeah, what you're alluding to there, it's kind of the the trade off, not the trade off, but the sort of value of micronutrients versus macronutrients, right? And it ties into the point of what I was saying earlier, like, I feel like the sort of fitness Instagram and, and, and YouTubing and, and the fitness industry about five years ago, it feels like um, it was all focused on the macronutrient value. But now in this trend, I think people are starting to realize that actually the micronutrients is so important for people that, you know, maybe don't get what I mean by that, but micronutrients is kind of your vitamins, your amino acids, all that kind of stuff. And macronutrients is protein, carbs, and fats, right? That's in its basic form. That's right. And, and, and remember what we said earlier about people being conscious. So people don't want to just consume things if it's, um, you know, kind of upsetting, you know, the nature and, you know, like the farming we talked about earlier and all that stuff. So, even a lot of the gym goers, they're very conscious on their uh, carbon footprint now. So, uh, you know, they rather consume a product that not only works for them, but works for the environment too. Uh, whereas whey, unfortunately, uh, the nature of it is that it comes from dairy, um, you know, and it comes from cows and so forth. Uh, and we talked about um, the resource consumption on that side of things. So, yeah, so from that angle as well, I think it works really well because they're getting something that ticks both the boxes for them. Um, and I think that's very important uh, in the day uh, we're living in these days. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, like I, I love the concept, right? It's when it, when this whole topic, uh, piqued my interest, I, you know, I didn't see it and immediately go, wow, like I'm going to consume crickets. Right. But, um, actually the more you look into it, like, you know, the biggest thing for me anyways, who is not a vegetarian and doesn't look at the moral side of, you know, eating animals or whatever. But the biggest thing for me is that whole foods, micronutrients versus macronutrients thing. Um, and it, genuinely, the way we're talking about it, it sounds like a marketing exercise. We're just going on about the, the positives. But I've dug into this. I've dug into this. And genuinely, this this as a sort of a totally a neutral observer, these that is literally the facts. Like it is it is all positive in that sense. You know, the sustainability factor, 
the the whole foods nature of it the 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 sort of lack of processed um materials in it and stuff um genuinely like that they're all the positives the only negative i can see is that ick factor you know that's all i can see to it and that's me being totally objective that hasn't just brought you on to say how good this product is that's genuinely my my you know my my sort of journey in in looking into this um so i love it i i think it's great and i will try certainly try it um for for sure um and i hope it starts to grow to be honest i, I hope it grows grows more yeah, we, I, like, personally, I've got no doubt. And a bit like you, I before I kind of went into it full-time and you know put all my um, uh, effort into it, like you, I researched it, and it just sounded too good to be true. You know? But every single thing that I had doubts on, every single thing kind of just got knocked out of it. You know? And um, that's when I actually started the journey. And, um, and you're right, um, the biggest challenge uh, is the ick factor. But I've got no doubt. I think, look, if we were to look at the history side of things, um, Lobsters, for example, right? uh, they're considered as a delicacy right now. Uh, and in fact, what they are is just sea insect or, you know, water insects, really. Um, give it uh, 20 or 30 years ago, uh, nobody would have touched them, you know, or 50 years ago, whatever. You know, uh, nobody would have touched it. But now, you know, they, they've become one of the top kind of restaurant, you know. Uh, yeah, so, so what I'm saying is that I've got no doubt the way things are going with the... Uh, with the you know, environmental side of things and climate changes and all that stuff. This is definitely an option uh, that, you know, I think people will start looking at it seriously. Um, and like I said, we've seen growth in our business uh, year on year. How is business at the moment? Yeah, good. Uh, look, I can't complain. Uh, like I said, um, it's not bread and milk kind of business. So it's not selling off the shelf as such. But I think like I said, we, we're seeing year on year growth, which is uh, very important to us. We are getting um, I guess, interest from overseas now, Europe and US, where uh, people want to take our products out there. Uh, we regularly get um, customers asking us from all these places if we can ship to them. So we're looking into those things in terms of the logistics and stuff. So, uh, you know, yeah, look, I think uh, the limitation right now for us is probably just improving our production chain and the logistics side of things. And I think um, after that, and the demand side of things is uh, growing uh, day by day. Best of luck with, with Hoppa and hopefully you're, you're moving to the rest of the world and, and building at scale. And uh, thanks so much for your time uh, today. It's been, it's been really interesting.